Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Right now, here at church, we have several people that you need uh, to keep on your prayer list. This past week, Lauren Harden was sitting at a red light and a car ran, he was on his motorcycle and a vehicle ran into him and they sent him to the hospital in Columbus. He's back home now, I believe, but it's kind of scary. We have a couple of people, or what really, one person um, in Houston taking radiation treatments and we have another one going, another woman going uh, who's had cancer before and she's going for a checkup and some other things like that. But we've had, we just have several people that uh, we need to be aware of and, and praying for because I suspect that there isn't anything that any woman has to face, well, any men too, but women in particular, than for the doctor have to look them straight in the face and say, you know, you have cancer. And uh, that, that's got to be a, a horribly frightening word just in itself. And so for those who are in that process, please be praying for them. What you saw in the video and what Emily read for you is when Israel was finally exiting Egypt and they they were living in the land of Goshen which is a part of Egypt but it's in the Nile River Delta the Delta is always formed down where it dumps into the Mediterranean and on the east side of that Delta was what they called Goshen Israel was there and they left there went straight east and there was it was the backwater of the sea uh, of the red sea which in that particular section was referred to as the sea of reeds the sea of reeds that reference to the uh, the weeds that grew there in that area and that's the area where you saw demonstrated where the waters were sufficiently parted that Israel could but, but what I want to point out to you because I, I I got fussed at by my first wife last night because I preached too long everybody else said it was wonderful and she said you were too long so I've, I've had to cut some things down here to get it done so so listen with both ears so that I can get through it before Israel was released the silent work of God to execute his plan had been going for a long time now the reason I talk about this is because before I finish this morning I'm going to address two subjects that have always been sensitive for the church the first one is the subject that is mentioned in the opening verses of the book of <clears throat> of Ephesians and it talks about God's pre-planning and carrying out his plan and uh, and people have always been a little sensitive about you know how much free will do we have and how much of it is pre-planned 
from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation, it is the story of God's pre-planning to carry out his will in the redemption of mankind. It starts in the opening verses of Genesis. And this is just a part of that story. And what goes unmentioned so often is the hand of God manipulating things in order to develop his people. He actually interceded into human history and purposely chose Moses before he was born. He prepared him to lead God's people through education in the best schools in all of Egypt, which were the best in the world. He had military training because he was in the household of, of, the, of the strongest king on the face of the earth, the Pharaoh. He then was chased into the land of Midian by the hand of God in order for him to receive his theological training. And then when he had been sufficiently trained by God, he then was directed by God, okay, it's time to go back and to take my chosen people back home. And so this, this, all this background stuff is, is usually just mentioned and moved, but it's really, really important to understand that God often is active in human history and unnoticed by most of us. We get so busy living our lives that we don't really notice what God is doing. And before we leave here this morning, I want to point out to you some things that he is doing here among us right now. You see, what he did is he took a bunch of people who were called Israelites, who had been in Egypt now for almost 400 years, and, and they were more Egyptian than they were Israelite. They even worshipped the Egyptian gods. They were just a mess of people who didn't want to go anywhere. They, and they wouldn't have wanted to go anywhere if God hadn't purposely permitted the Egyptian government to be motivated by fear to treat them as slaves. And they were treated as horribly as slaves, as slaves usually are. They would never have left. And even after they left, there were times when they wanted to go back. If you can even imagine that. But what God was doing was he was making them so miserable that they would want to leave. God invariably finds it necessary to make people miserable in order for them to choose to do the right thing. We're so self-centered. They were, we are. And so he not only did that, but he then, as he often does, uses enemies of God's people as tools to execute his will. All through the Old Testament in particular, well in the New Testament too with Rome and so on, you see him using really bad people in order to manipulate his people to do the right thing when they wouldn't have done it otherwise. If he hadn't hardened Pharaoh's heart, these things never would have happened. And so what I want you to notice is that 
way, way back, 400 years before then, God promised Joseph, when, he, when the family was forced to move to Egypt, the promise was made to Joseph's father and his grandfather, the day will come when you will come back home. I'll keep my promise. And he, he actually spells that out very clearly here in Scripture. I'm doing this because I promised your forefathers that I would do it. And even though you don't want to, but you got, you're my chosen people. Moses is my chosen. I chose him. I selected him. And so and, and it needs, we need to keep talking about that because we're going to run into that predestination thing directly. And, 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 and it's there, and you need to just accept it as a, as a fact of Scripture. Now, is everything predestined? I, we're not going to even go in that direction. But are some things predestined by God in order to achieve his ultimate will? The answer is yes. And we'll prove it from Scripture in just a few minutes. So Israel was permitted to become miserable so they would finally leave Egypt and head back toward home. Now, and God intimidated Egypt until they were willing to let that happen. Now, most of the time, most of the time, we learn about the secret manipulations of God through hindsight because we, we kind of avoid and forget the prophecies and the promises that God made. God specifically promised Jacob. He promised Abraham and Jacob and finally all the way down to Joseph. In fact, Joseph said, I want my bones carried back and buried in about 20 miles south of, uh, of Jerusalem at a town called Hebron. And there was, those bones are still there. Now, the, the Muslims built a mosque over top of it, but the bones are still there because God promised that he would do that. And this is always carried out according to God's predestined will. And we need to say it just like that. Now, God had a plan, as I said, from, from the book of Genesis clear through Revelation. We call it the plan of salvation. It was called the plan of salvation for Israel because they were saved from slavery to freedom. And, and we want to keep that in mind because we're going to touch on that a little bit more as we go. The Bible clearly teaches in both the Old and the New Testament that God makes his promises and he always keeps them unless they're conditional. The, the problem that we have with God's promises is we want them answered now. And God never gets in a hurry. Now, I don't understand his timing. I just have watched and see, you know, we're talking about 400 years before that promise was kept. And so, uh, but the promise was made. God kept his promise as he always does. The New Testament comments on that. It was Peter who commented on it. He said, The Lord is not slow concerning his promises, as some men count slowness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should be saved. So what he's saying here is God appears in our eyes to be going at a snail's pace when his motive is different from ours. 
our culture today, it's like the television commercial about the guy with the money. It is my money and I want it now. It's my money and I want it now. Everything we want now. God, however, has a plan that he executes through the centuries. And his plan is set up on purpose to see that as many people can be saved as possible. He was actually in the process of saving an entire nation. Because Israel, he designated as his chosen people. He chose them for the specific purpose of building a, a people together so that ultimately he could send the Messiah. And so that, that's what's going on here. All of this must be seen like this. Now, be careful with religious leaders talking about uh, the promises and the things of Scripture. Because false teachers are very clever, very persuasive, and in most cases pretty effective. But the Bible says, and this goes into the New Testament, the Bible says you can tell the difference between a false teacher, a false prophet, and the, and the real thing. He actually uses this term, as John does in 1 John. He says you need to test people to see if they're genuine. He actually uses that term. Let me read it to you. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And this is a spirit of Antichrist. Now, there are many religious leaders in the world today who make promises that there's no way they can keep. And, they, and if they don't, if it doesn't happen, they blame God. The television is full of people who say, you send me seed money and, and God will grow a crop. Please be careful. Please be careful. It doesn't work that way in Scripture. It doesn't. And, and, and so... There's, wherever the Spirit of God is working, Satan is there. You need to understand that. Satan doesn't worry about non-Christians and the pagan world. They're already in his corner. He focuses his attention on God's people, trying to corrupt them, trying to misguide them, trying to fool them. And he's very effective at it, and his people are very effective. So you need to learn how to test the spirits to see if they are from God. We need to learn how to do that. And that comes through spiritual uh, maturity. You see, when God was leading Israel out of Egypt, Satan was using Egypt as his cohorts to try to pervert and to distort the plan of God. That always exists. It exists now. Because Satan, actually, here's the way he operates. And you need to know this. Now, once you get this square in your head, you'll become a little more careful and probably a little skeptical at, at, at what goes on. Now, listen carefully. Satan actually mimics God in trying to impress people. 
He actually mimics God. He tries to do the things that, that, uh, that God uses to, to impress people for who he is. Because, you see, God was saying, if Egypt's army is destroyed and my people are freed, even the Egyptians will admit God of Israel is the true and the living God. And so he's, he, this whole business of, of helping Israel figure out who they are and what their job is and who their God is, he, and for Egypt to realize they're under satanic influence and they're, 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 they're going to run into a problem sooner or later. The Bible, and in, in the Apostle Paul is writing this in the book of Thessalonians when he talks about how Satan works by emulating God. And so you have to be able to test the spirits to see whether they are uh, from Satan or they're from God. Listen to how he says this. The, this is verse 9 of the second chapter of Second Thessalonians. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. It goes on to say, even if possible, God's people. So what Satan does is, it, and, and, and if you were to go to, uh, to uh, Uganda with us, you would run into uh, the most religious people there that's been there for the longest time. And they're actually Satan worshipers, and they call them witch doctors. You've heard the term. And you'll see them usually setting up their business along water for some reason or other. I don't know why, but that's, that's where they are. And, and the scary thing of it is, is they, can, they, they have uh, phony miracles that they perform that people buy. And that's the way Satan has always operated. Do you remember what Moses did when he went in and threw down the, the rod and it turned into a snake? What happened? Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing. And so... What I'm trying to point out as clearly as I can is you just need to be careful. And, 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 and what I encourage you to do is just use the Bible as the only source of authority for your, for, for your faith and practice. Just use the Bible. And, I, and I'll demonstrate that for you in a minute when we come to baptism and some other things that are, that are important. So even in the plagues... And the plagues were, were actually a contest between the true and the living God and the gods of Egypt. Most of these plagues were related to one of the gods because the Nile was worshipped by, uh, by the Egyptians. And you, I don't have time to go into all those plagues, how they represented the false gods of Egypt and how God had to uh, overcome those things in order to impress his people. So what God did is he sent... A messenger, an angel. The word mess, angel, as you know, means messenger. He sent a messenger to take care of Israel because they were too dumb to take care of themselves. And so he actually, and the angels of God are actually the warriors of heaven. The hosts of heaven are actually and, and, they're all, and they're always there when God does something dramatic. Do you remember when Jesus was born, what happened that night? 
you had a bunch of soldiers singing. Here, here comes Jesus. You know, the, the hosts of heaven were announcing the, the coming of the Messiah. Whenever God operates, he sends these messengers. And for some reason or other, um, people are a little bit skeptical about them. I really have gotten to the place where I not only believe in God's messengers, I, I, I know that they're real. I've run into them on a personal basis. I don't want to take the time to mess with it. Now, so Israel is being delivered, and, and I'm cutting a lot of this short because my first wife told me I had to, and you always do what your wife says, ha, ha, ha. And so anyway, Israel is being delivered here, and an interesting observation that Emily read as as when they get out here, going across the Sea of Reeds, and that's what it's supposed to be translated, not the Red Sea, but the Sea of Reeds, which is an extension of the Red Sea. When they go through that thing, you have the wall of water on their one side, wall of water on the other side, and a cloud overhead. What is clouds? Clouds are water. And so the Apostle Paul says this, God, this is what she read for you in the, in the, in the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, that God viewed Israel going through that tunnel of water on top and on either side as their baptism. What he was doing is he was baptizing bad people. That's who you baptize, by the way. You baptize bad people. These are people who that, that you have finally brought to the place where they recognize that God is God and they're in trouble. And the only way they can get out of trouble is, now don't worry about that baby. They don't bother me. I can yell out. I got a PA. So, so he was taking these folks who were all kinds, some good ones, some bad ones, so on and so forth, but all of them had gotten to the place where they recognized God is the only God. He is the true and the living God. And because they believed that, they qualified for baptism. Now, keep that in mind because we're going to talk about some of that a little bit uh, as, as we go on. I'm supposed to look at my watch. Yeah. Okay. Now, what God did, and keep this in mind, is God managed the entire campaign of Israel coming out of Egypt and ultimately settling in the land that he'd promised, called the promised land. He managed that, in, and, and he, his angels were there to manipulate light and darkness. Just, ultimately, he says, actually, God fights the spiritual battles for us. Our problem is we think we have to fight it ourselves, and we always get in trouble. Let me, let me explain this as easy as I can. When you get in trouble, you're strongest spiritually when you're on your knees. Are you following me? Don't arm wrestle the devil. You'll lose every time. Get on your knees. Let God fight the battle. And ultimately... It comes out the way it should. If you fight it, you're probably going to mess it up. 
And so I encourage you to understand God is willing to fight for his people. If we're willing to acknowledge he and he alone is God. Now, who do you suppose or what do you suppose is the primary enemy of God that Satan uses to mess up people? If you were to vote on what is the one thing that more people get messed up over than anything else in the whole world, I'm talking about Christian people. Where do we get messed up worse than anything over what issue? We get all excited about politics. We get all excited about uh, football. We get all excited about, ba well, basketball, but that's legitimate. Uh, anyway, we, we get all, you know, pulled here, there, and everywhere. But you know the number one problem? Money. Money is the number one problem that Satan uses to mess with people. The New Testament teaches that and says, look, you can't worship God and the word that's used in the old King James is mammon. Mammon was the term of the God of money. And so that's the number one problem that we have because how many of us will admit that enough money is never enough? Never, we just never get there. And it messes us up because it is a God. It becomes a God for us when it falls into that category. So please be aware of that. So greed is the, is the multiplication of that concern over money. And God says, look, if you're my people and you love me and you're faithful to me, you won't have to worry much about what you wear or what you eat. I'm really going to take pretty good care of you but we have a hard time getting that straight in our head. Now, let's talk a minute about, I told you because of time, I've got to skip some stuff and go. You probably are unfamiliar with a passage of Scripture here in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. And yet, most of the first chapter is about that. What I told you was this. The will of God and the plan of salvation is something that God has planned out, and will execute. And nothing will stop him. It may slow him down, it may what, but his plan of salvation for the delivery of people because God loves his chosen people. Do you know who God's chosen people are now? It's you. The church is God's chosen people. He loves you and is concerned about you just as much, if not more, than he was for Israel. You're the new Israel. You're his people. He chose you. And it's very clear. Listen to what he says. Third, first chapter, starting at verse 3 of the book of Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And I'm going to stop there just for a minute. What he's saying is God chose 
you. He chose the church to be his people, to do one thing that Satan cannot do. There's only one thing, really, that he can't effectively duplicate. He won't even try. Have any idea what it is? It's the very next word in that passage of Scripture. He says, get this, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Satan is incapable of love. He can't do it. And so what God is really wanting us to do, and the church has been miserable at it through the ages, what he predestined was this. If you're going to love him, you're going to love each other. And you're going to be willing to sacrifice, go to extremes in order to be a blessing to each other. Now, I mentioned earlier on purpose that we have several people now who are in physical, who have serious physical problems. And they're, they're not just serious, they're frightening to people. And you can help. Honestly, you can, you, you not only can pray for them, you can actually, if you're a tightwad like I am, you'll take a little piece of paper and write them a note. Now, my first wife, she goes to, and, 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 and she's really pretty smart. Don't tell anybody at CVS and don't tell anybody at Kroger's what I'm going to tell you. That's the worst place in the world to buy cards. Go to the dollar and the quarter place. Like it used to be the dollar store. It's the dollar and a quarter place now. They got a whole bunch of, of cards there. You can buy five of them for what you get at Kroger's for. And just send people a little note. People will say to me how much they appreciated hearing from somebody. That somebody, in this day and age when people are so busy chasing money, so busy they don't take the time. See, when, when I was a kid, it was a whole different world. Sunday afternoons, after we went to church, we'd go to Grandma's house, and all afternoon, the men sat there and talked, and the women gossiped in the kitchen, but they didn't hurt anything because they were cooking. And, and, and the kids played ball, and that, that, that was a routine thing that was magnificent uh, for family development. The whole thing has changed. People are so busy. And it's so hard to make a living at, at least the standard that we want to live in. And so whenever somebody takes the time to sit down and write somebody a little note and tell them that you're praying for them and you care about them, it really makes a difference. It does. You take the little gal that runs the, uh, the dress shop downtown. She's in uh, financially. They don't need anything. But she's in Houston, Texas, taking about 30 radiation treatments for breast surgery, cancer. And I guarantee you that she would rather have a card from you than for you to send her a $1,000 bill. I, I guarantee you. And if and when the church becomes the place where we love and are noted primarily because we're loving, caring people, caring for one another. You can't fix the world out here, but we can sure help each other. And that expression of affection 
is tremendously encouraging to people. Please give it prayerful consideration. Now, I wanted to point out to you that, that the Bible is very clear here about what God does in predestination. He, he planned in Genesis what he's doing now. He's planning that there will be a culmination sometime in his choice, when we least expect it, like a thief in the night. Jesus will come again and the thing's going to start all over again in a renewed way. But God has this plan and you need, as I said, I'm not willing to go into the thing where every jot and tittle of everything is predestined. But God's plan of salvation is predestined. And you need to understand and accept that you are people, meaning the church, that he chose just like he chose. See, God chose Moses. He chose Jesus. He chose you. You are his chosen people. And I know I'm repeating things, but my mama used to say repetition is the key to learning. And I've watched you all long enough to know that you're slow learners. So I want that to get clear in your head who you are and why he chose you. He chose you and all of us in the church for the purpose of showing the world who he is. The miracles of the, of the, uh, of the delivery, the exodus of Egypt was specifically there so everybody, including Israel, would know who he is. Now, the world will know who he is by how you and I treat each other. It's really that simple. So if we, can, if we can buy into that, I guarantee you something wonderful will begin to happen. Lost people will begin to press into the kingdom of God. You won't be able to stop them. We can sell tickets at the front door and you'll still, all the seats will be full. Because when lost people, they're not stupid, when they see real love, which means I'm willing to deny myself of some time and money in order to bless you or someone who needs to be a blessing. That's what agape love is. That's what Jesus demonstrated on the cross. That's what John meant when he said, for God so loved the world. Now, interesting that he would say, The apostle would say that what happened to Israel was a baptism. Baptism is something that people are confused about, and it's not their fault. In the New Testament, forget about anything else, just the New Testament. In the New Testament, nobody was confused. Because, you see, 350 years before Jesus came along, there was a guy named Alexander the great who conquered that whole known world, and he imposed Greek culture and the Greek language on everybody, even the Israelites. As a result of that, when the Bible, the New Testament was written, everybody could understand it because it's in one language. And the Greek language in regard to baptism is so simple that nobody argues about it. The word, the, the verb baptizo means only one thing, dip, plunge, or immerse. So the people ask legitimately, well, how did, we, how did the sprinkling and the pouring and all that kind of stuff come along? Actually, it started about 150 years after the, after the church started. There was a little book that was written 
called the didache. That's a Greek word that means the teaching. Didasko is the word to teach. And so this teaching, and in that book, it, it added to what the scripture said. It says, if there is a convert, try to find running water. They call that living water. Try to find running water and you, and you, and you baptize them in it. If you can't find, and I'm, just, I'm saying this almost word for word. If you can't find running water, find still water. Baptize them in it. And if you can't, if, if you can't find uh, enough water uh, to, to immerse them, just get some and pour it on their head three times. And if you don't have enough to pour on their head three times, sprinkle some on their head, and you call it baptism. But see, in the New Testament, there were no such things as unimmersed believers. Didn't exist. Why? Because the word baptism meant immerse. That's the only thing it could be. It couldn't mean anything else. Now, there's more to it than that that's really important. When Israel... As, as Emily read, when Israel was coming out and the water on both sides and on top, it says they were baptized unto, in the name of their leader, who was who? Moses. So they were baptized, it said, unto Moses. In the New Testament, before Jesus entered his ministry, there was a guy who was called, his name was the baptizer. His name was John. He was a cousin of Jesus. And he was immersing people in the Jordan River. And, and, uh, and, that, and when he did that, that was, he, they were being baptized in the name of John. The New Testament calls it John's baptism. Because some people came to Jesus and they said, have you been baptized? And they said, yeah, we, uh, we've been baptized by John's baptism. That doesn't cut it. Have you been baptized in the name of Jesus? Because all through the book of Acts, they, it never mentions the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like it's in the 28th chapter of the book of Matthew. No, all through the book of Acts is, have you been baptized in the name of Jesus? And in every instance, it's in the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is our leader. He is the head of the, just like Moses was the head of Israel, and John was... The Bible says, you know, the law and the prophets were until John. No, none greater than John. Okay, but he then, that whole thing was placed in, in the background, and, and the answer then was Jesus. Everything, as Matthew says, if you don't know what the answer to the question is, always say Jesus. 90% of the time, you're going to get it right. And so, have you been baptized in the name of Jesus? Now, here's the beauty of that. This, here's why this becomes tremendously important. When we stand before the judgment bar of God, and we all do, because all of us are going to die once. The death that we die the first time is, the, is means separate. Death means thanatos means separation. We'll be separated from each other, and we'll be separated from the flesh. That's the way it's going to happen. But you can, be, you can die twice. The scripture makes this abundantly clear. There is a second death, a second separation. And this time, you're separated eternally from God. That's called the second death. And so, what we're trying to do here is avoid the second death. And the avoiding of the second death means that when we stand before the judgment bar of God, we're, because we're identified we have taken on the identity of Jesus Christ. 
We are judged not by what we have said and done, thank God, but we will be judged by the character qualities in the life of Jesus. Of course, the scripture says when you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ. Into Christ. You put on Christ. When we stand before the judgment bar of God, we're judged by the qualities of Jesus and not us which means we get a real deal. And that's why the New Testament calls it the good news. That's good news. Reason to rejoice and why there was joy unspeakable and full of glory because we stand before the judgment bar of God knowing that the judge is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter down, you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay? And so... Uh, it's really kind of important that, uh, that you understand these things and, uh, and, and put your heart into it. I, I think that, uh, that if we understand and only use the Bible, if we, if we understand and only use the Bible, it is easy to become unified because we only have one source of authority. If there are several sources of authority, you see, the Catholic Church, which is primary influence for, for centuries, has four sources of primary authority and one final authority. There's the Word of God, there's doctrine, there's dogma, there's the, the church law, and, 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 and the Bible. And if those conflict with one another, then the, the Pope speaks what we call ex cathedra as the head of the church, and that becomes the final, that becomes the law of the church. See, we just want one authority, and we want it to be the Bible. Our job is to preach and to teach the Bible with such clarity that everybody can understand it. And when you don't understand something, we haven't done our job properly and well. And so, we're trying to, trying to get this so we're all on the same page, all doing the same thing, all committed to the same person, and, and that works out pretty good. So I think I'm just going to have to bring it down to quitting time. i got three or four minutes. So what, what I've tried to get across to you is simply this. God has been working since the Garden of Eden to get as many people saved as possible, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, a few weeks ago, I stood before this group of people, and I promised you that sooner or later, and it's sooner, that the day was going to come when we would not close a service without emphasizing salvation in Jesus Christ and issuing an invitation for you to accept Christ with the understanding that when you accept Jesus Christ and you repent of your sins and we and what we're going to do then is we're going to bury you the old guy that you were the sinner that you were we're going to bury he's dead and gone he doesn't exist anymore in the, in the eyes of God. He's, he's a goner. And you're now become alive in Jesus Christ. And we want you, and, and what we've done is we have said, look, 
This thing worked really well for Billy Graham for a long time, and we all admire him. And those of us who got to meet him were impressed by his, who he was. So if you'll stand now with me. I want you to know that if you have never invited Jesus into your life, you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, all you have to do, I, ask, I beg you, walk down this aisle, sit right down here, and I'll sit and talk with you after the service and give you, through the Word of God, God's clear and simple plan of salvation that will guarantee you eternal life. It's not a fleeting hope. It's a guarantee. That it, that it, and it's available for you now. I don't care what you've been in. You couldn't be any worse than that bunch of thieves that he baptized in the Red Sea. You can't be that bad. So I'm telling you, and even if you were, his shed blood is sufficient to blot it out. So that when you stand before him at the judgment day, you stand before him anxious to hear him keep his promise of saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of some really good things. So if you've never accepted Christ, please walk down this aisle, sit over here, and I'll spend all the time necessary with you needed to give you the confidence that you need to know that you can go to heaven when you die. Now, Billy Graham did this, and I think it's a good thing. After he'd issued the hymn of invitation, he just backed up and shut up and prayed. I hope you'll pray with me silently while we wait for the Spirit of God to touch the lives of people. That's what God is doing today. He's touching the lives of people, asking them to accept Jesus. If you've never accepted him, please don't leave this building until it's done. Let's bow our heads. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.